everybody. Welcome to another episode of Opposing Points. My guest today is John D. O'Connor, a former federal prosecutor and the San Francisco attorney who represented W. Mark Felt during his revelation as Deep Throat in 2005. He's also the author of the book Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism, and host of the podcast series and forthcoming book, Mysteries of Watergate. Today, John and I discuss Russiagate, Robert Mueller, the beginnings of Russiagate, the war in Ukraine and Russia, and some other uh, stuff that we just muse around his uh, his occupancy in San Francisco when we get to talking and get to know each other a bit. So it's a really fun conversation that I had with him, and I hope you enjoy this discussion as well. Thanks for tuning in. And if you like this video, don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube. Hey, John, how are you doing today? Just great. How are you, David? Uh, I'm pretty good. A little bit dreary out. We had a tornado uh, watch here in D.C. today. <laughs> pretty interesting. I used to that. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really glad to have you here. It's, it's a pretty important uh, time. Um, there's some stuff that's come out about the Alpha Bank um, with, with uh, Clinton's, uh, I think, former campaign manager, Robbie Mook. But and, and Russia invading Ukraine. And uh, what I really wanted to cover today for, for some of those folks that still aren't really familiar with Russiagate and what has gotten us to the position that we're in. Um, so I'd like to start there. Um, many liberals still believe that Trump worked with Russia. Um, the Mueller report was done uh, and, and they say it didn't exonerate him. Um, so I wanna just start there uh, with that. Well, right. Um, obviously, the Mueller special counsel team, and I know Bob Mueller, he's a straight arrow, but I don't think he was, by all reports, was not active on the case. He was a figurehead and a name. So I don't say anything bad about Bob Mueller. But this, um, this team was obviously biased. And if it had the slightest shred of evidence that there was any collusion with Russia, they would have said so, and they would have said he colluded. In other words, with these people and their bias, any evidence would have sufficed, and they got none. Now, as a, as a former prosecutor myself, and as sometimes a defense lawyer, it is not the prosecutor's job to exonerate anyone. That's not his job. He's not to say, well, gosh, we couldn't convict this guy of murder, but maybe he did it, and tell the world, well, maybe he did it. We're not going to exonerate him. Well, that's not what you're, you're not there to exonerate. Every now and then, there will be a finding by a court of what they call actual innocence, uh, and it will come up in odd situations, but normally no one is declared innocent. You're just simply not guilty. You're not charged. In this case, they didn't even recommend an indictment. So let's talk about the original charge was that Trump colluded with Russia. Now, how this came up is interesting, and I think your audience should know about it. Mm -hmm. What happened was around April Late April of 2016, April 22nd to the 24th to be exact, there was some realization by the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, that their security had been breached, that there had been downloads of their information. And I think they were quite upset about it. And 
so forth. It was right then that all sorts of forces went to work. That's when uh, Christopher Steele got to work on his dossier. Uh, that's when um, the whole Russia thing was cooked up. And some of the intelligence we got from Russia, which John Brennan uh, reported to the uh, White House about, was that Russia knew early on that her campaign advisor, her foreign policy advisor, Jake Sullivan, had decided that they would blame any email woes on Russian collusion. That is to say that Russia was trying to help Trump win. They had agreed to do it. And that's the source of these emails coming out, which they knew would come out uh, soon, and they did come out. So as soon as the emails were published by WikiLeaks, that's when all the publicity started. Robbie Mook went on television saying, talking about Russian collusion, that Trump and Putin were in this together, and, 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 and so forth. And that's the story that started, and it worked. Jennifer Palmieri, the campaign advisor, uh, publicity person for uh, Clinton, took her golf cart and went all around the Democratic National Co Convention to tell all the delegates about this Russian story and get them hopped up about it. So when this information came out, which suggested that Hillary had put her thumb on the scale of the DNC through her financing so that the DNC would favor Hillary over Bernie, uh, all that tension was deflected by this Russian story and it worked for her. Now, rather than just being content with that, uh, the FBI, which was very, had obviously friendly to Clinton, then they started this crossfire hurricane uh, investigation based upon the Christopher Steele dossier. The Christopher Steele dossier was paid for by the Clinton campaign through a couple of different levels. First, their law firm, then Fusion GPS, and then Steele. And Clinton campaign had tried to hide their sponsorship of the Steele dossier. That's the big lie. They wanted this to make this look like some respected spy had come up with this lurid information. And they didn't admit that. Nobody, at least the public, didn't find out that she financed until 2017. If it weren't for hard digging by some people um, uh, on the Republican side, the, the uh, country wouldn't have found out about this. And I think if, of course, if Clinton had been elected, it never would have come out. She could have put the kibosh and everything. But that's the source of this. Now, let me tell you here, David, what your audience should know about this idea of whether Trump was hanging out, A, hanging out with Putin, and B, whether Putin really wanted Trump to win. That's what people think. Well, the exact opposite is true. When Hillary was in as Secretary of State, she did all kinds of things that were favorable to Russia. She gave them dual-use technology on the guise of um, helping them with their Russian Silicon Valley in Skolkovo. She helped take away 1.1 million in small arms from the Ukraine, which delighted uh, Russia. And then, and then um, after that, uh, she, when she was gone, but her, her uh, progeny uh, allowed Putin to waltz through Ukraine. So it, it makes sense that Putin would want Clinton to win. Now let's look at the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier was composed, I'm gonna be, make a statement here that may stun everyone. Mm -hmm. Every person involved in putting that Steele dossier together was in some form or fashion, a Russian agent 
uh, an oligar Russian oligarchic agent or just a declared Russian agent or a suspected spy. Let me go through the, the people. Christopher Steele, mm -hmm. his main client since he left the British intelligence for the prior six years had been one uh, Oleg Deripaska, an aluminum oligarch who was close to Putin. Okay, that's his main client. He'd submitted 100 reports to the government. Uh, Steele, in turn, was hired by Fusion GPS, which is owned by Glenn Simpson. At the time, Fusion GPS was doing a big case on behalf of another oligarch called Dennis Katsiv, and his family had gotten $250 million seized in the United States as part of this anti-Magnitsky Act, uh, the, uh, of an anti-Magnitsky Act prosecution. In other words, the Magnitsky Act in America uh, was punishing Russia for killing a principled lawyer in, in uh, Russia when oligarchs were seizing money uh, wrongfully. Uh, and this act sanctioned Russia. Putin hated it, wanted to get rid of it. So he's in the middle of a big lawsuit. Who does he hire for his intelligence? But Glenn Simpson. So Steele's boss is working for the Russians. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. When they have a meeting in Trump Tower where they lure young Donald Trump to a meeting, he brought in a, a woman named Natalia Veselnitskaya. You're referring to Trump Jr., right? Right, Trump okay. Jr. in the Trump Tower. And they tried to make a big deal out of it. He took a meeting because he thought this lawyer would come up with some evidence that Hillary had committed a crime. Well, she had no such thing. But they took this meeting. But basically, it was a meeting uh, with Veselnitskaya, who was Putin's lawyer, literally and wanted to get rid of the Magnitsky Act. So that's that's something right there, okay? Um, so, so, so far we've got all these guys. Now, who was Steele's principal subsource? The guy who really got the information, a guy named Igor Danchenko, who was a uh, suspected spy, never been exonerated. He had tried to recruit a couple people at the Brookings Institution to give information to him for if they went to the State Department. So he's a suspected spy. He gets his information from a woman named Olga Galkina, who's supposed to be a girlhood chum. But if you look her up, she had worked for Putin's propaganda arm called RIA, RIA Novosti. That's Olga Galkina. Mm -hmm. They also hook up with a guy named Charles Dolan. Now, Charles Dolan is a longtime Clinton campaign aide, but most of his business has been as a PR agent, designated PR agent for Russia. In the United States, he was their designated public relations uh, person in the United States from 2006 to 2014. And a recent Washington Post article trying to make Dolan sound good. I don't think this makes him sound good, but he had the trust and respect of Putin's inner circle. So now all these people are getting together to feed information to steal, then to go to the press with it. There are a couple other people that Steele bragged about talking to. One of them was a, a guy named Vyacheslav Trubnikov, who was the former head of SVR, the Russians' intelligence uh, uh, sort of tent there, the, the head, the overall organization. Another person is Vladislav Surkov, mm -hmm. who had a desk right next to Putin's in the Kremlin, and they called him Putin's Rasputin. So now here what I'm saying is, David, you have all these people that are close to Trump, and uh, uh, close to Putin, I'm sorry, and they wouldn't be doing anything without Putin's consent. And here they are trashing Trump. They're not trashing Hillary. 
they're trashing Trump. They try to are getting Trump to lose, and then they're leaking things to the media. So anybody who thinks Trump was consorting with Russians is literally doesn't know what they're talking about, or just is confused or fooled by this publicity. They may be innocent people that are fooled that they don't know what's what. But uh, and the idea that Putin wanted Trump to win is absurd. Uh, if Putin really wanted Trump to win, those nine people that I just mentioned, I think I mentioned nine, would all have their faces in their cereal bowls in the morning after they ate some polonium with their Cheerios. <laughs> so uh, this is not, it, it's such a no brainer. Yet all this time, all this time, David, for three years that Russiagate goes on, no major media outlet states the obvious. All these people could be learned about over time. And nobody said, this is odd. These are all Putin's allies. And they're leaking to steel and steel's one of them too. And they're all getting together and trashing Trump is what they're doing. So the idea was absurd from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, what I say is, it's also very interesting that during the four years that Trump's in, uh, Putin doesn't make a move for Ukraine. He made it before he got into office in 2014 when he went into the Crimea. As soon as Trump leaves, he masses troops on the border of Ukraine, and, uh, and Biden just about sends him an engraved invitation. So I mm -hmm. ask your audience here, do you think that Putin was afraid of what Trump might do? Of course. Uh, one good thing about Trump, for all his detractors would say, is that the guy's unpredictable. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and if you're Putin, you don't know what the guy's going to do. Uh, let me just give you some examples, uh, David. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump is in office but three months when at the Al Shayrat airbase, that's joint Russian Syrian airbase, uh, they use chemical weapons. That's a no no. So Trump lobbed in 59, 59 Tomahawk missiles into that airbase. He allowed the Russians to get their planes out. They didn't get them all out, mm -hmm. but he did destroy that airbase and sent a clear signal that he wasn't going to mess around with these guys. Then he takes out General Soleimani, who's about to launch some terrorist activities, and he takes him out with the drone strike. So I don't think, and he did a couple other things in Syria as well to other right, Russian right. assets. So the idea that these guys, that, that uh, Trump was their patsy, uh, patency of Putin is, is ridiculous. You know, he's got an ego, so he likes the idea of saying, oh, I like big, tough guys like Putin. I admire them. I respect them. They don't understand Trump's psychology. It's like saying, yeah, I'm just like Muhammad Ali and name all the other great athletes or Michael Jordan. I'm just kind of like that. that. I'm a cool guy. So that's Trump's uh, personality shining through, but it doesn't reflect any strategic... Uh, desire to be Trump, Putin's buddy. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, he liked the idea that, hey, man to man, he knows I'm a tough guy and uh, he's not gonna mess with me. And it's actually, that was true. Uh, Trump actually said something, no matter what you say in that area, he's pretty good. Mm -hmm. So there we are on that one, David. I hope I didn't talk too long, but I think this is a summary of yes, how excellent. this you, thing you, was. Mm -hmm. and, and, it's, and it's ridiculous for anyone to even harbor the thought for a second that Trump and Putin were together. Yes. And you, you gave me a, a couple of, um, of different thoughts there. One um, is that we saw the same kind of thing regarding, oh, well, prove he didn't do it. Um, that happens a lot in today's, in today's culture, especially with like Brett Kavanaugh 
um, that that case where you know prove he's not a gang rapist and that he didn't right. go down the street performing gang rapes um, when when the when the witnesses weren't very credible for the most part. Um, also, uh, I'm, I think about uh, how the media seemed to not go for these cases that that you speak of in, in in terms of investigating these connections, but instead they took kind of the the obvious things. You know, Trump saying. Hey, you know, if Putin has Hillary's emails, please release him. And people say, look, he's working with with um, with Putin. And it's very easy for the media and um, people to kind of hop on that as an as an obvious thing. Meanwhile, Hillary and, and cronies and Russian oligarchs are doing things in the background that would require more investigative work. Um, do you think that's a factor? Because you have like Manafort, you have released these emails. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, when Trump said that, he was obviously joking. Right. But but like it, and Mueller thing. tried to make something of to show you how biased that Mueller team was. They they acted like that was a serious communication with Russia. If they're in collusion, he's not going to collude with them on national TV, of course. But the second thing is nobody has really analyzed what he said. He was talking not about the DNC emails, which had nothing to do with the the ones he was he was talking about the thirty thousand emails. That she he was did, right? talking about the 30,000 emails that had been taken that Hillary had uh, dele deleted from her computer right? Yes. Uh, and said that they're all about yoga and Chelsea's wedding. And then she, her associates all bleached bit the computer and then they destroyed it with hammers. So by the time he makes this statement, everyone in the world knows that those that if, if Russia has those emails, they had them months ago. Now, uh, if they, they may well have hacked, a lot of people thought her computer was hacked and they may have them, but they're not gonna search for them that night. They either have them or they don't. So Mueller tried to make a big deal that there was all this activity in Russia on the same day that Trump made the joke. Mm -hmm. Like as if they just said, oh my gosh, let's look for those emails. Well, they either have them at that time or they don't. They can't hack at that point because there's nothing to hack. But if you read Mueller's report, these guys go into a long song and dance about this activity that's going on in Russia right after Trump. They don't know what it was, but people were working late. So must be they must be looking for the emails Trump told them to look for. First of all, it's 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 silly that they would communicate that way. Number right. one. But number two, if they had those 30,000 emails or any portion of them, they would have had them six months, a year, four years earlier. Uh, when Hillary was making the emails, and I don't doubt that they hacked her and that they've got them, but <laughs> it, it, it doesn't add up to the emails that were released about the DNC. Those are the emails that were released. They're from the DNC. Now, the DNC released emails, interestingly, were probably, I say probably, because this is far from decided, but there, are, there was a respected leftist group called VPS that does independent cyber investigations. They did a lot of things that uh, about the Iraq war where they told about how the Bush people weren't square and so forth and so on. So this is a leftist organization. And they looked at the DNC email claims that somehow the Russians had hacked the DNC emails and given them to Julian Assange of WikiLeaks. But they said that was technically absurd, that it looked like they were downloaded so fast that it was from somebody inside that had whatever you call it, you know, just had a key and just took them all out. And, uh, and, and that it, 
And then what happened is then later on, the DNC tried to fabricate a new group of emails and put all kinds of Russian externalities on them to make it look like, oh, these are the emails that were hacked, the DNC emails. They weren't. The emails that were originally hacked were hacked somewhere between April 22nd, an ongoing basis through May. Um, and it, so, so uh, Hillary's group had tried to, uh, this. Uh, they had a, a, a cyber security group that, that CrowdStrike. Yep. Now, interestingly, if they had nothing to hide, if the DNC had nothing to hide on this, they would have given their computer to the FBI for forensic examination, but they refused to do that. The, the FBI could have figured out whether this was an internal leak or an external hack, which takes a lot more time. Uh, they have the FBI actually, in response to a subpoena in a case, I believe in Texas, did release about 100 pages of dealing with the question of whether this young man, Seth Rich, had been who had killed him. Mm -hmm. uh, the suspicion is that he was the guy who leaked the emails to Julian Assange because he was a Bernie bro, found out what had happened, and leaked them to uh, Assange. But but be that as it may, uh, it's certainly uh, the FBI, one document said that they could see how somebody would want Seth Rich uh, to be to be killed. Right. Now, what that means, what they have, there are rumors and there are only rumors that that Seth Rich was found. His computer indicated that he was communicating with one of Assange's agents. So there's a whole story there. But all it gets to is that the key to Russiagate was having a way to explain these DNC emails that showed Hillary's bias uh, and the DNC's bias against Bernie and in favor of Hillary, mainly because Hillary had financed the DNC and in return, right. she corrupted them. Uh, this uh, uh, Debbie... Wasserman Schultz, the head of the DNC, was forced to resign over mm -hmm. the shenanigans once they were revealed. So it's doubtful that Russia would do this. Why would they care? Uh, the idea being, oh, they're so afraid of Hillary, they want Hillary to lose. No, I don't think so. Uh, not at the same time Russia is trying to destroy Trump. So this was all manufactured by Hillary to deflect blame for those DNC emails. Now, once they got going, on the Steele dossier, even when the election was lost, mm -hmm. they figured they had too good a thing going here and they could undermine Trump during his presidency. And they did a good job of it and they kept going. And, and uh, the Steele dossier allowed the FBI to really spy on Trump. And Trump said he was being wiretapped, uh, maybe not specifically a wiretap, but, but under the FISA warrant, they can not only uh, electronically monitor the subjects, but they can monitor two jumps away from the subject. The subject right. talks to David Unger, they can monitor David Unger. David Unger talks to John O'Connor, they can monitor John O'Connor. So this was a way for the FBI to infiltrate the Trump, first the Trump campaign and then the Trump government, Trump administration. And that's what they were doing. And they were looking for any kind of a crime that they could find so that they could then uh, impeach Trump. I mean, that was it was an impeach Trump uh, program that was going on. So uh, then 
James Comey looks like a hero when, oh, he's standing up to Trump and Trump's trying to obstruct the investigation. Mm-hmm. It's, it, and I'll tell you how bad Comey was. Now, James Comey's the head of the FBI for your audience and who was in charge of doing all this. He kept from Trump the idea that some of his aides were being investigated as Russian spies. Now, normally what you do is, is you would tell if, if you know the president has Russian spies around him, you yep. tell the president. Does that include um, Michael Flynn and Paul Manafort or, or some others? Correct. Paul, uh, my, Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn, uh, I think George Papadopoulos and this Carter Page right. were all being investigated. Flynn's one of them. And one of the reasons they really wanted to get Flynn was, uh, remember this, if you go along with my theme that Russia didn't want Trump to win, Michael Flynn was an ardent hawk. And he thought that the government, that uh, he was in the Obama administration and he yelled and screamed that they're being too soft uh, in the Middle East, which included Russian influence in the Middle East. Right. And he was a hawk. And, and one of the first targets that these guys had in the FBI was to get rid of Flynn, and it worked. They got rid of Flynn by overhearing a phone call with uh, Sergei Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, and then basically playing all kinds of games there with Flynn, and, the, and it worked. They got rid of him. Uh, the FBI ended up, the special counsel ended up indicting him, but while uh, Trump was, before the special counsel came along, it was leaked that Flynn had talked to Kislyak and had lied to Mike Pence about it, the vice president. Right. And that cost Flynn his job. So um, they really did sow chaos in the Trump administration. And here it is, the president's own, not only law enforcement agency, but intelligence agency. The FBI is involved in intelligence, especially in the United States where the CIA cannot do intelligence work. Here you have our major intelligence outfit and the president is supposed to run intelligence operations. Law right. enforcement is supposed, he's supposed to keep his hands off and just kind of not interfere with the FBI and the Justice Department. Counterintelligence, any intelligence operations, those are the presidents. And yet Comey and the FBI were hiding this major intelligence operation from the president who was supposed to run it. Yep. Once it got publicized, Comey assured Trump privately that he was not a target but would never say so publicly. And as a matter of fact, would try to tell the public, try to hint to the public that really (laughs) Trump was the guy they were really looking at. And that's the way the public got that. So there's this big narrative out there, uh, and including when Mueller gets uh, named, that Trump's in bed with Putin. And that stayed alive for the next couple of years after that. So it's from the summer of 2016 to Mueller's report, which I think was, was it 19 it came out, 2019? I, 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 I can't recall if it's late 18 or early That's 19. The, but, yeah, I don't know the exact date. But, but it was quite a while, and the whole thing was kept alive. Then either, even after Mueller issued his report, people said, oh, well, it looks to me like he's, he was doing something. So, um, it's it's really terrible when we have a major uh, organ of the United yeah. States, the FBI, and then a special counsel's office, all trying to undermine the president. It's pretty amazing uh, little uh, story there. Right. So so the the Comey thing was where was where he claims that Trump asked him for his his loyalty. Right. Right. Yes. 
And the fact is, that's not wrong. He works for Trump. Actually, mm -hmm. he's supposed to have his loyalty. Now, is it? does that mean uh, a personal loyalty? No, it means loyalty, though, to his office. And if you are loyal to the president of the United States, as you're supposed to be, and that's your chain of command, and especially in the intelligence field, Comey, in my view, was dishonest. If you conceal something from your boss that you are duty-bound to tell him, in most cases, that's considered fraud. It's certainly unethical conduct. And he mm -hmm. didn't tell his boss of this. So, uh, you know, so when Trump asks for his loyalty, he has every right to ask for his loyalty. Right. Uh, and, and Comey tried to make something of that. And somehow that Comey could do anything he wanted to Trump and Trump couldn't do anything about it. And, and that if he fired Comey, which he had every right to do, um, that somehow that was an act of obstruction of justice. Uh, and, and remember this, everybody agrees that Comey acted wrongly when he dealt with the Hillary Clinton uh, situation back in 2016, yeah. where Hillary had clearly uh, breached the law, broken the law, requiring her to uh, not be careless, not, not have gross negligence in the handling of classified documents. By de very definition, taking classified documents and putting them on an unsecured server, where the rules say she shouldn't have that she shouldn't have done, by definition that's gross negligence. Uh, Comey even admitted that she was guilty of extreme carelessness, which is the same thing as gross negligence. In the original FBI report, they even said uh, her, his original speech had gross negligence in it, and it was crossed out and put in mm -hmm. extreme. Uh, carelessness. That's the same thing as gross negligence. So anyway, she was guilty of a crime. Comey exonerated her of it. Then he, which he shouldn't have done. It's not his job to publicly exonerate anybody. Right. And then, and then he felt compelled to reopen uh, when uh, the congressman Andrew uh, Weiner, on his laptop, had some of Hillary's documents, and so he yes. had. We open the investigation, and that might have hurt Hillary a, a bit in the election. But the, but that was misconduct by Comey that everyone agrees with. Uh, people on the Democratic side all wanted his head for that. Yep. Uh, um, so uh, firing Comey shouldn't have been a big deal. Uh, he he had he had it coming, but he tried to make it into uh, an idea that he was a saint and Trump was a sinner and fired him because he was so darn honest. Um, and uh, people believe that too. And it's just, it's a joke. Right, and so uh, some people might say that because of, of Manafort and Flynn that where there's smoke, there's fire. What, what is it, is there anything to the, I know he later, I think he, did he pardon both of them, I think? I think so, uh, I, I think so, I know he pardoned Flynn, I think probably Manafort too. Uh, but remember this, first of all, Flynn didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Flynn didn't, you know, uh, they were threatening to sue, to, to indict his son as an unregistered foreign agent, which is absurd. But basically, they're threatened to bankrupt not only Flynn, but his son. So he had to plead to something. Uh, so that's Flynn. Flynn was a real hawk and would have been a much better guy than anyone. And he had Trump's ear, and he would have been a really good guy to be in there. So Trump lost a very capable and loyal guy. Very capable. He's named by the Obama administration. Uh, in a top post until uh, they didn't like his opinions, and then they got rid of him. Now, let me talk about Manafort for a second. Mm -hmm. 
everybody just assumes that Manafort's this pro-Russian sleazebag. Now, he's kind of a, he's a little bit sleazy. I mean, he's buying $30,000, you know, alligator jackets or whatever they are. And he, he kind of lives a plutocratic lifestyle. But everybody says, well, he was working for a pro-Russian Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych. Uh, somewhat true. Uh, Ukraine's always been a jump ball between the West, the EU, and Russia. And so, yes, he favored Russia. Manafort talked him into going the other way and cooperating with the EU as a step to getting into NATO. And so Manafort actually did an heroic thing for both Ukraine and the United States by talking Yanukovych into agreeing. Let me finish what I'm going to say. I'm going to say into agreeing to sign what was known as the EU Cooperation Agreement. Uh, and this would have put him under the wing of the EU, and probably we wouldn't have a Ukraine invasion right now if that had happened, because that was going to be like a, an engagement uh, to, to marry into NATO. Uh, now, what happened? Yanukovych went up to one of the Baltic states to sign the agreement. It was going to be a big deal. The Obama administration he wasn't one of their guys. He's, you know, I mean, Yanukovych was kind of a corrupt guy, uh, as you find in those countries. So they tried to cut the prosciutto a bit fine there. And they thought they were in the bag. They thought Yanukovych was going to sign the agreement. But no one with Obama would agree to give foreign aid to Ukraine so that Yanukovych could make up for the goodies he was going to lose from uh, Russia. And it only makes sense that you do that. Now, of course, we're giving billions to Ukraine. But back then, his State Department um, uh, refused to promise him foreign aid. So Yanukovych said, OK, I'm not signing the agreement then. I can't do this. I can't do this and lose all this support I'm getting from Russia unless you, the United States, support me. Very logical thing. Every country does it. Everybody wants aid from the United States. And now, the country that we really, really need to give aid to, Ukraine, they're not doing it because the Obama foreign policy was really feckless in so many areas. You know, I can, you know, you can get into Libya and all that stuff later, but boy, everything they did was sort of stupid. And this was one of them. So what happens is the Ukrainian citizens are so upset that Yanukovych pulls out of the deal. It's not explained why. Nobody knows why, but he pulls out. And that starts the revolution, the so-called maiden revolution. Well, that destabilized Ukraine so much that that's Putin seized his chance to just march in and take Crimea when nobody's minding the store of the, the whole country's up in arms. And of course, that's when Joe Biden comes in to be the quote point man. And in comes Hunter with his buckets, which he hopes to fill with cash. And we're off to the races with a very, very corrupt uh, situation there where Hunter Biden is representing corrupt oligarchs in a country where the United States policy is that we, we, the United States, along with Britain and other countries, should clean up Ukraine and prosecute corruption. So while the United States claims to be doing that, you've got the vice president in there with his son, uh, condoning and making money off of corruption and 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 helping out the corrupt oligarchs there. So he did all kinds of tricks. And the evidence is pretty strong that no one in Ukraine had the guts to go after Hunter's clients. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's 
where you tie in <clears throat> to the famous statement by Biden that uh, I, I told them I, they weren't getting the billion dollars unless they fired the prosecutor. Guess why that happened? Because the prosecutor was starting to make moves on one of Hunter's clients. Now, why the media can't pick up on that very simple fact that as soon as this prosecutor starts investigating uh, this company called uh, Burisma and mm -hmm. its founder, Zlachevsky, I think just Zlachevsky, just, just I'm sorry. Um, and, um, and once that happens, then all of a sudden the prosecutor gets fired. So at Biden's urging, he admitted he urged them to fire him. And of course, the media, you know, doesn't really dig into it. And, and you know, and they buy Biden's story that, oh, the guy was really corrupt. So um, what we do is now what we do is we end up impeaching Trump, Trump for supposedly not being strong on Ukraine. You know, come on. Uh, you know, you can't make this stuff up. It is so silly. And it only can happen if our media deliberately try to pull the wool over the public's eyes. And they do it. And that happened there. People never got the real story on the Ukrainian impeachment of Trump. Uh, now, Trump's often his own worst enemies because he, yes, he's, exactly. he's kind of like a bull in a china shop. But uh, but nonetheless, it was a, it was a bogus charge. And and I think uh, anybody with a little critical thinking skills should know that. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting the way that the intelligence communities have interacted in both of these kind of events where, you know, with the with the Hunter Biden laptop, a bunch of them came out and said this is a Russian or likely Russian disinformation. Um, and then with with the actual disinformation oh, regarding Russiagate, nothing. And then the media, too, sort of needs a reckoning uh, where, you know, if you were to ask the average person on the street, did Trump collude with Russia? They'd say yes. Um, and uh, is there possible corruption from the Biden family? They wouldn't know anything about it because they'd think it was disinformation. That's right. And the thing the media shouldn't have done, it's one thing to say, oh, these people were respected uh, intelligence people that said this. OK, let's say they are. All they did was give an opinion that maybe this is Russian disinformation. But does that mean that you don't publish a live issue? Nobody had any problem with publicizing for three or four years that Trump was colluding with Russia. And that's OK. But saying this laptop, which you know looks like a duck, duck, waddles like a duck, quacks like a duck, it probably is a duck. And it probably is Hunter Biden's laptop with thousands of emails that no one could make up with pictures of Hunter in intimate positions which the Russians couldn't have made up. Uh, what are they doing? Going into his bedroom and taking pictures and slapping them on a computer? I mean, it's so absurd. Mm -hmm. it just, but, but the fact is the public never got to make that decision whether this was uh, a Russian disinformation or not. It's a legitimate question if you want to bring it up. I think people would laugh at it once they saw the, the contents of the, of the laptop. They'd say, how could this be Russian disinformation? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Think about how hard it would be right now if someone wanted to replicate David Unger's computer uh, system. You couldn't do it. I mean, how can you do it? Fake a bunch of emails that you sent and then which could easily be disproven. Uh, you can't do that. It's just impossible. Take a lot, get a lot of pictures of David Unger. How are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so uh, it would be impossible, but yet the media fell for it. 
And I think they did it willingly. I think it wasn't as though they're really fooled into thinking this is disinformation. They just saw this as an excuse to help Biden. And so they all went along with it, wink, wink, nod, nod. I don't think the media were so stupid as to believe that this really was Russian disinformation on this computer. Yeah, it's the, it's the idea of like the um, the noble lie. They thought that not reporting the truth, but lying to get Trump out of office is a, has a greater benefit to it than the truth. Well, that's right. That's right. That was, and, and that's true of the rush, whole Russiagate thing. It's much because you hate Trump so much and sort of project on him all kinds of things, uh, that gives you an excuse. Look, if you're in Hitler's Germany, you could say it's moral to go shoot him. Now, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, personally, I wouldn't go that far, but some people wanted to do that, tried to do that. And once you posit that Trump is this uh, giant, terrible person, uh, then the ends justify the means. Uh, uh, so it's really the essence of morality is that, that it's okay to do this. It's okay to lie and to, you know, withhold information on bogus grounds because you don't like this guy. It's really terrible. So how, as, this, as this is happening, how much does the, does the intelligence community know regarding Russiagate? Um, the, the veracity of it, you know, because one of the first things that I saw in it was that he got a golden shower in a hotel room. And the first thing I say is, well, Trump is a huge germaphobe. And as far as I know, he used to not even shake hands. So that seems quite fishy to me. And I'm not in the FBI or an intelligence agency. So well, what do yeah. they know? Well, first of all, they knew it wasn't true. And, and uh, first of all, the story was that Trump got a golden shower. That would be sort of a perverted act. And maybe that's possible. But under the story, all he had the prostitutes do was pee on a bed. Now, that's kind of absurd. Would you hire prostitutes? Oh, go pee on a bed. And it's a bed that he's renting. So, mm -hmm. okay, go pee on the bed that I'm going to sleep on tonight. Boy, we'll show them. I mean, it, the story was ridiculous. It made no sense. Uh, but that's, that's what they came up with. It was sort of silly. It's just pee on a bed. I mean, mm -hmm. come on. And, uh, you know, and I think he, the whole idea was that the Obamas had stayed in the same bed. And so to disrespect them, they were going to he was going to have him pee on it, you know, and it just. Come on, <laughs> come on. Uh, you know, you can't. I mean, if that did happen, is that some sort of big compromise? Oh, they got pictures of him telling a prostitute to do this. So what do you think anybody would care? Let's say that's true. Oh my gosh, one time in 2013, Trump told prostitutes to pee on a bed. Ooh, what a scandal. Why is that? I, I don't get how that could even be compromising. And of course, meanwhile, Hillary's sold, I forgot to mention before, she sold uranium to Putin. I forgot about that one. So 20% oh. of, of our uranium reserves, and which are also in Kazakhstan, but sold those to Putin. And of course, uh, that looks like a payoff right there. She, her Clinton Foundation got something somewhere between various reports, 150 million to 350 million donations by people who benefited from the Uranium One sale that sort of went by chain to Putin, to Rosatom. Um, and that was so obviously corrupt. And yet nobody, nobody says anything about it. They're talking about a, a, a peeing on a bed. 
it's just, it, you know, they really, you know, strain the credulity of the American people and do a pretty good job of it. Yeah, well, well, you know, Hunter had prostitutes. No one talks about it or cares, really. Um, yeah, he actually used the prostitutes for their intended purpose, David, as yeah. opposed to being on a bed. I mean, I might hire a dog if I wanted somebody to pee on a bed. I'd still get a dog, you know, but, uh, you know, paying good money for prostitutes to, you know, to pee on a bed, it seems it's kind of absurd to me. Yes, um, and we're kind of seeing this all play out now um, with with Ukraine um, and, and Russia. Russia has invaded Ukraine. Uh, what what do you think they're, do you think they stop at Ukraine? Uh, do you think Ukraine fights them off? Um, and, you know, what, what happens when maybe the Republic, is there, is there a fact, would you factor in Republicans potentially winning the midterms and how that might impact actions? Well, here's the deal. I think what they should probably investigate, there's going to be a lot of investigations once the Republicans take over. Uh, but the investigation I would like to air out is Biden's chumminess with Russia. That's the funny thing about it is here, not only was Hillary chummy with Russia, to our detriment, Biden is. Because people, rem remember, he would not release MiGs from Poland to go to Ukraine, which would have helped Ukraine immensely. The other thing that Ukraine really wants badly is I think the phrase, it's a long range, multiple launch rockets. Now I'm not sure what a multiple launch rocket is, but apparently they're very effective. You shoot one and I think it launches a bunch of rockets. It's not just one in other words, and it's long range. And you could send those things to uh, Donbass region from, say, Poland or someplace, and you could, you could do something. You could certainly do it, put them into Kiev, and then use them to go get to eastern Ukraine. But we won't give those either. That hasn't been publicized much. So Biden is pulling his punches, and they're doing the best they can to act like they're really supporting the Ukrainians, but not really. Not really. This had been... The first things, one of the first things Biden did when he got into office was withhold the big lethal aid package to Ukraine. He paused it. And the reason he's doing it is he's trying to use Russia as its broker in the Middle East to help them with Iran. And because Iran is a major uh, client, so to speak, or vassal of Russia. And then they also want Russia to provide oil when needed to the United States because they're shutting down all the oil production here. So that makes no sense either. Every barrel of oil that's uh, produced in Russia is about four times dirtier than an oil uh, barrel uh, produced in the United States because of our environmental laws. Right. So they're actually dirtying the planet, uh, disempowering our people by taxing the heck out of them at the pump, pump. And none of it makes any sense, but they need Russia. They see Russia as their buddy. And, the, and I don't know how this is going to help Israel. What are we going to do when Israel starts getting bombed by uh, by Iran? I mean, that's got to happen once they get nukes. Um, so well, this the, whole thing, it's really scary what Biden's been doing. The, the the Russian currency, right, has has improved quite a bit in spite of the sanctions. And the way that I kind of think about sanctions is it seems to be hurting the people of Russia. So I guess that the purpose is to apply pressure to the government to take care of its people. Um, and it's also hurting um, people here. 
um, as well, where you know gas is more expensive, we have uh, kind of raging inflation for the average person. Um, in our interactions with Russia, how do we balance that out to, to come out to a resolution? Well, first of all, the reason the ruble is good is because because everybody's buying oil from Russia. That's mm -hmm. their major product. And now by by our silly, our silly, the real start of this, the real root of all the problem is that we're not producing here. Biden cut back on oil leases and did all kinds of things to prevent drilling. Um, and by doing that, he made Russia very powerful. We need to now, we're no, no, no longer a net exporter of, we're a net importer again. Uh, we've always needed energy independence. Trump put us on energy independence and now we've lost it in a very short time of Biden. So uh, yes, we're making Russia stronger. And we're making our people weaker. So every day, if you think about it, I just filled up a tank for $7 gas in California. Well, wow. uh, $5 here or a little bit yeah, less, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, you know, I just gave, you know, uh, I, you know, everybody's giving out money at the pump. At the end of the day, a lot of that's going to Putin because somewhere or the other, the, the deficit has to be made up by Putin. And so he's getting very, very wealthy. He was ready at the end of Trump's time. He was very close to defaulting on his sovereign debt, which would have caused chaos in the country. Mm -hmm. But we have actually rescued him from that by making him so strong with his oil, by, by you know, making that very profitable. So, uh, yes, the ruble's back up and the people aren't really hurting that badly in Russia uh, relative to the way they were before now they're kind of recovering you know they can get their deposits and all that stuff that was it was a, it was touch and go there for a while but and the country's being hurt a little bit by you know things like mcdonald's and other things going away but One of the banks too yeah but but basically we haven't hurt russia much at all uh and and we've hurt ourselves it's such a silly policy and to blame the inflation on putin of course is absurd he had nothing to do with the fact that our country's oil was not being produced and, and we're begging, they're going out there begging Venezuela, Iran, and Russia for oil. Um, so sad. Yes, on a side note, are you planning to leave California anytime soon with $7 gas? <laughs> well, besides $7 gas, David, we've got people running amok in San Francisco. Oh yeah. You can't go any place without stepping over a homeless person. And there's an awful lot of street crime. Uh, I won't park my car on the street anymore. I know the, the street, the car break-ins have cut down a bit, but for a while there was just a rampage. Uh, I think something like eight Walgreens drugstores uh, have been closed because yeah. everybody just comes into the stores and takes what they want. Nobody does anything about it. The cops know that there's, as long as you steal under $1,000, our prosecutor won't prosecute. Yeah. So yeah. so San Francisco is really hurting. And right now, I think there are a lot of buildings are still being leased, but they're empty. You go downtown and you see no action like it used to be. San Francisco is always a vibrant city uh, with people going to bars and restaurants and doing all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. And now it's. Uh, it's sort of a ghost town. And once you lose your tourism. You've lost a big chunk of income, and certainly, if people don't 
any more want to pay a hundred dollars a foot for a lease in San Francisco. Uh, my son is an investment guy and he wants to hire the best of the brightest from throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to come to San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, you know, it used to be a young person would fight to get a job in San Francisco, maybe take a little lower pay to get out here. Now, you know, it's hard to drag anybody out here. So I'm too old to do anything, David. You know, I tell people I'm on the back nine of life or maybe even on the playoff hole and I don't know it. So, you know, it's uh, but but for a young person looking at California, you say, you know, maybe maybe Idaho or Oregon is looking good. Um, a lot of people, a lot of techies are moving to Austin. Yeah. Uh, some, some to Reno and Las Vegas. Um, but it's it's not a good scene here. And all of it because it's it's not. It's all because of progressive policies. You, you yep. can, I just everything I just named is the yes. result of progressive policies. The, the governor, you, uh, Michael Schellenberger, he's running for governor. He's, you know, he, San Francisco is the is the book about that. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've read San Francisco. Yeah, he's very good in that book. Uh, at least he'll call attention to this as he runs. I mean, obviously, Newsom's going to Newsom's going to win. Uh, yeah. And I think Newsom's going to be, and some people laugh at me, some people agree with me, but I think Newsom's probably the leading candidate to for the Democratic nomination in 2024. Wow. Um, he's, um, he's a good-looking guy and speaks well and is from California, and he does all the liberal stuff, progressive, I should say. So I think that's going to happen. Um, so there we are on that one. Of course, our real problem, I think the prosecutors are the real problem, both in L.A. and Tessa, San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. If you uh, if you recall from the book, uh, Tom Wolfe, who he interviews frequently, I spoke to him on, on this podcast. Oh, did you? Yes. Um, yeah, he's he's a really great guy. He actually started his own podcast with talking to recovering addicts. He's doing a lot of um, great work uh, out there oh, still. So there's people still fighting. It's it almost feels like Batman, though. You know, just try to save Gotham. Well, that's right. And, and you know, in, in the country feels too. Yeah. The housing advocates think the best way to end homelessness is to build a bunch of homes for these folks. Well, wait a second. Does that make sense? Everybody who's having trouble buying a home as it is, we're going to go rich in our pockets to give homeless homes that have without any requirement that they treat their mental illness or they treat their drug habits. That's what Schellenberger is basically saying. How can we do that? We're subsidizing the thing that we supposedly are trying to cure. We're subsidizing it. You don't do that. You don't go out and, and if you don't want pigeons around, don't go feed them all the time. Uh, you know, uh, so I, I don't want to sound heartless. There are things we can do for the homeless, but they would involve um, tough love and making making them in order to get what they want, they should be entering into programs and uh, we should be trying to combat this thing. Yeah. Um, you know, one of, one of the interesting things, and I think you, you touched on this a bit earlier, it's just that like the, the narrative that is painted across a lot of issues um, and people don't, if, if you're on the, not even conservative, but let's say you echo a point that a conservative says, you're automatically you know, spreading disinformation. Um, I, I, I'm thinking of, uh, I don't know if you saw, I think it was in the Atlantic. Um, they published a piece on Bill Maher, uh, Molly Jong Fast, uh, written, writing that he's not a liberal. 
Um, and it's it's almost like I feel like there's a if if the person like they did with the witches. Well, if they float, they're a witch. If you echo uh, a, a talking point, and you float. You're a Republican or a conservative. And there's such an environment created with Russia, whatever it is, that if you say anything counter to what the media or what whoever tells you that you are spreading disinformation. Are you seeing that in, in, in the debates about this as well? Oh, oh, of, oh of course, of course. Um, you know, the, 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 it's, it's very much like a totalitarian state uh, in that you've got to go along with the party line or if not, you're getting canceled. You're, <laughs> you know, things will happen to you. And that's what's happening all over our society is, is, is any conservative thought is being canceled. We're not debating. You know, the whole idea of liberal America is debate in First Amendment, the Enlightenment values and so forth, of openness, of inquiry. Of, and remember, during the 60s, oh, it was so great to hear people talk about, you know, burn the flag or talk about Vietnam. Well, that's great. Let's have a discussion about it. Well, they stood uh, for radical the, freedom back then, right? That's like, right. They it's don't radical, stand for any of that anymore. Yeah, radical freedom. And we don't have it. It was our whole country was based upon this radical freedom. The idea being that we have this democracy. And as James Madison said, liberty is to factionalism as air is to fire. You're going to have factionalism in a free society, but the cure for it is free and fair debate from a First Amendment press. That's supposed to be the cure. And instead, we have a press, so to speak, a media that is encouraging factionalism and enforcing sort of a Hitlerian, Stalinesque type of society where everybody has to think the same way. Uh, another analogy, I'm a Roman Catholic. Another analogy is, is back when, you know, the Pope had a lot of influence and a lot of kings were going you know, to enforce Catholicism or later on they enforced Protestantism. You don't say things that are heretical, you know, if you can, you're going to get burned at the stake. And that's really what we're doing now. We're saying, oh, you're a heretic. You mean you don't buy this climate stuff? Um, how can you possibly do that? You're a climate denier. A denier. I love it. A denier. You're an election denier. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have denied a tenet of the progressive faith and therefore you're going to get canceled. And that's what happens to people like Bill Maher for saying something. One thing about Bill Maher, I mean, he's a very much of a lefty guy, but he's got this nice honesty about him. And he doesn't really say things he doesn't believe. I also think he's consistently he's funny. Canceled. You know, you can't, you know, the other one, think about this one. It was considered really wrong to basically say that this virus was horrors. This advanced virus was, um, was actually fabricated, was actually produced in a lab whose job it is to produce advanced viruses. Yeah. That amazing. It suddenly yeah. became okay to make fun of when Jon Stewart did it. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, no. Finally, he did it. Uh, gosh, I'm in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and there's a river of chocolate coming down the street. Maybe it didn't come from the wet market. Maybe it came from the chocolate factory down the street. But that's what our society got to, that you're a terrible person if you say that the lab created this. That's not the way we're supposed to think, we're told. And so you see it on CNN where anybody who gets out of line or MSNBC, oh, you know, 
society's society's telling how how terrible that person is who says that, and everybody is duly chastened uh, not to open their mouth. So we have a funny society, David, in which that's happening, which this orthodoxy uh, is being um, is being enforced. Um, and and I think people talk about it. I think there's a book in the Garden of Good and Evil, something like that, about pre. Now, before Hitler really got bad in Germany, how how it was that you were being watched, your conversations were monitored, people might tell on you, yeah, things you say, uh, and that's where we are today. Yep, and you just reminded me of something. Also, so so uh, I'm reading this book, "Cancel uh, This Book" by Dan Kovalik. I think he's also written about Russia. Uh, I haven't read that one. Uh, I'll be interviewing him. And it's weird because I'm reading his book. He identifies as progressive. And I find myself agreeing with a lot of the things that he says, maybe not the solutions. I do lean a little bit more libertarian. Um, but I, I agree with a lot of what he says. And people are afraid to, to do that now. And, you know, as young as you are, um, how, how, did, how did that look um, with, the, with the conversations years ago? How, how would we be approaching this Russia situation years ago versus how we're approaching it in today's society. Oh, well, first of all, in whether you're a Democrat and I, you know, or, or a uh, or Republican, as a matter of fact, the Democrats more so than the Republicans would have intervened in Ukraine. We would have massed troops at that border. We would have said, don't go in there. This is this is we got to stop the spread of communism. You're not going into one other place. OK, that's mm -hmm. what we would have done. And and sabers would have been rattled, and I think um, I, I think that uh, that was the whole idea of NATO, and that would have stopped this this invasion. I mean, right. I think uh, it would have worked, and that's the common sense way of doing it. Now we have this thing: boots on the ground. Oh, we can't have boots on the ground. Well, who said we can't have boots on the ground? Sometimes you've got boots; they're in your army, and sometimes they need to be on the ground. Um, mm -hmm. And it's almost like. If anybody uh, suggests, as I do, that we shouldn't select our president solely by primaries, that we ought to have more party action and the party, the party people should have uh, their voice heard because you're going to get better candidates that way. Then, of course, smoke filled rooms. There's no discussion. Isn't this it, we. Even when Kennedy ran for president in 1960, I think he only won a couple primaries. And even then, a lot of them were not binding. Mm -hmm. And so we have changed our our uh, system very radically. And nobody understands why our politics is so screwed up today. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have 17 candidates on a stage and all in, in order to get attention, you got to say something outrageous. You can't stand on the stage and say, you know, I'm for, uh, you know, basic values and uh, not doing anything to extreme. I'm I'm a moderate person. You're not going to get a vote. Yeah, it's. Uh, I spoke to Ben Carson uh, on the show also, and such a soft-spoken guy. But you know, and he he was a front runner for a little bit. But you know, it's Trump who's just insulting people and calling Rand Paul ugly. That kind of <laughs> ends up getting the uh, the nomination, and it's like we reward the the character um, versus the in, almost the intelligence of the person speaking. That's right. That's right. And I think on the Republican side, people have been so fed up with politicians not doing anything that I think Trump's sort of 
over the top rhetoric is mm-hmm. very effective. Right. Uh, and I think there was the cartoonist Scott Adams wrote a book called Win Bigly. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he I've talks about Trump's style. And he says basically, Trump makes extreme statements really more than anything else to show the constituency that he means he's, his heart is in the right place. So rather than saying that, gee, it's bad to let in a lot of illegal immigrants because you know a few of them are going to be criminals and others are going to be wards of the state, he doesn't say that. He says, oh, they're just sending us all the rapists and murders. Well, you know, people know that that's not true, that they're not just rapists and murders coming over the border. There's some nice, honest people. But the point is, is that he's showing that he's strong. And people cared about that on the Demo- on the Republican side because our the representatives on the conservative side end up not doing what they say they're going to do. So we have a very, very um, dysfunctional uh, political system. Right. Uh, now, what happens is when you run on the Democratic side, you act like you're this really reasonable, down-the-middle moderate. You listen to Barack Obama. He's just a reasonable guy. Well, and, you know, again, he fools everybody. I mean, he's just a very hard left progressive. And, you know. Did you see his uh, tweet yesterday? What? Did you see his tweet yesterday? No. What did he say? Oh, man. Um, I don't remember exactly. But he basically said, you know, as we as we mourn the school shooting at Uvalde. uh, I'm I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce that school. But yeah, um, Uvalde, I think. Let's let's remember two years ago, George, like he just turned into the George Floyd thing in the tweet. Like, yeah, as if it's the thing. It's really the Republicans gunning down people again. Yeah, I mean, just the diversion of attention had nothing to do with it. I was just like, oh, man, very cringeworthy. (laughs) Well, they did that. This started out like, if you remember when Gabby Giffords, the congresswoman from Arizona, got shot. Yes, I remember. uh, I was in high school. The sheriff, who was really responsible and blameworthy for not putting the guy under a detention because he was clearly and manifestly a crazy person ready to do harm to himself or others. And he was reported to the sheriff and the sheriff sat on his hands and did nothing. So the sheriff starts talking about talk radio. Oh, this whole thing started because of right wing talk radio. Uh, you know, there was no proof of that. You can't There's call no anyone crazy anymore either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was, that's right. A that's funny right. story. I was, I was dating someone in New York um, for a few weeks when I, when I used to live there and uh, someone, my sister lives there as well. My brother, and uh, someone shoulders my sister very, very hard. And she's you know five feet tall. And I say to this person, uh, yeah, some some crazy person just hit my sister. And she goes, well, why are you using that word? And I was just like, what about the welfare of my sister? And, you know, she, we did not see each other anymore. <laughs> oh, oh, really? That, the girl you're out with? Oh, yeah. yeah that's that's verboten to call somebody crazy. Not no. no, we don't worry about the welfare of the person that was attacked. Let's uh, let's focus more on the terms that we're using to describe the person. Because uh, oh, you can't associate crazy with violence. Well, yes, sure. Not all crazy people that do things violently are, you know, are, are, are you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's a pretty good school of thought that says a lot of these people that shoot up uh, synagogues are crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, but. It is funny. No, it, now, of course, the you've got this anti-racist thing going on in which they're now trying to do away with um, uh, special gifted and talented programs in New York. Yeah, they're doing it in San Francisco. They want to get rid of the sort of the prestige high school for just the smart kids. 
in that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're really harming ourselves. We really are quite a bit of self-inflicted wounds here in the name of political correctness, I suppose. I'm very, I'm very worried for the future that, um, that my age and the people younger than me grow into, um, where, you know, treating people in healthcare based on their race and prioritizing them based on that. Um, it's very scary um, to, to grow up when people are just completely unaware of anything going on. Um, where if you if you watch just kind of mainstream news, you don't really know what's going on or you don't hear about anything. It's it's very scary. Well, right. And, and it's control. And, and, you know, we're being controlled. And that's sounds science fiction-y. But the fact is, it's it's true. I mean, these the, the major media is telling you what they want you to hear and nothing more. And they're hiding stuff. They hide stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, especially important things like we talked before about Hillary when he, she does the Uranium One deal and then, uh, you know, they, they then arrest 11 Russian spies and send them toot sweet over to Russia. So they're not going to, rather than trying to jam them a bit, find out what happened. So all these things are not reported. So as the Washington Post says, democracy dies in darkness. It certainly does die in darkness. And uh, every time the media acts to keep us in the dark, they're killing democracy. Yeah, it's a very ironic, uh, I guess, catchphrase for their paper. Um, really although, is. oh no, actually I'm thinking of Politico. Because the, the, the only, um, I think his, his name was Schreckinger. I don't know if you've heard of the book he, he wrote about the, the Biden family. Uh, no, I did not that one. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, he wrote. He he works for Politico, and he was one of the first, probably one of the only mainstream, I guess, journalists to say, "Hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe there's something to this laptop." So he's a whole book about the Biden family. Oh no, kidding! I have that's, to look at. What's... That's a pretty honest uh, investigation. I think it's called the Biden family. Um, okay. okay. But I, I can I can send you the uh, the link to it. Yeah. Afterwards, it was a very good book doesn't really take a position, just kind of lays out the facts, which I appreciate, um, you know, as, I, as I'm kind of gathering information when I when I look into things. Um, but very, very good book. And he makes it he makes a pretty good case that that there was a little bit of corruption. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty. Pretty good evidence. I'm, I'm not the lawyer here, so. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's evidence. What I would say is, yeah, it's evidence sufficient to start an investigation. Exactly what Joe is getting. You can infer it, you can imply it by circumstantial evidence. It cer certainly looks that way, but it needs an investigation. Mm -hmm. I want to touch a little bit back on um, uh, the boots on the ground thing, because I, I think Trump uh, Trump ran almost on what used to be the Democratic Party platform. And and there's only a couple of people probably in the Republican Party today. It's, it's, it's more in the Republican Party or like the Ron Pauls, which is people are kind of tired of boots on the ground or, or interventions because they've kind of seen how they've backfired. Um, how do you see that going forward affecting our national security? Well, that's the problem. This boots on the ground stuff, we've gone too far the other direction. Remember, the real problem with both Iran and Afghanistan is, well, let me take them separately, um, Iraq and Afghanistan. The Iraq war was justified and brilliantly executed. But the, it's the Iraq peace that was unnecessary. Uh, things, the mission changed all of a sudden. We had been clear that we were going to keep the country largely intact, just lop off the top Saddamites and 
keep the army and keep the bureaucracy, the civil service. And then somehow it changed and the State Department got involved and uh, Paul Bremer became king and had a palace and did all this stuff and they decided they would change Iraq. Well, that's the Iraq piece and it was stupid. Uh, and what we did is we alienated the Sunnis, that that's how ISIS started, by alienating the Sunnis. And, and, and Bremer was tilting toward the uh, Shiites. So the real lesson there is not, not to go into, is not to avoid something like Iraq. That was brilliant and we did it real well. It's just that get in and get out. Now I talked to Senator Tom Cotton about this. When you talk about Afghanistan, our real mistake was sending our own people in there. We had the system uh, worked out. We give bags of cash to these various tribes that were anti-Taliban, and they were doing pretty well against the Taliban. And as long as we did that, we didn't need a soldier over there. Uh, and so then what we do is then we try to take this ungovernable country, at least not it's not governable by a central agency, and we try to do that. It just doesn't work. It's it's corrupt and ungovernable, and we had a we had a solution, and and what happened was, uh, we in two places we grabbed a, uh, you know, def defeat from the jaws of victory, um, and uh, it was just silly. And so then what happens? Everybody says, "Oh, no boots on the ground, no boots on the ground." Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Then of course Obama comes in and says, "Oh, I'm." you know, as Mr. Cool, he's not going to do stupid stuff. But then what do they do? They topple uh, Libya uh, because, and they topple Gaddafi, who actually, since Reagan had bombed him into submission, was actually an ally of ours. Then we're going over there on some form of humanitarian. We're deciding who the bad guys are that are fighting. And we destabilize, all we did was destabilize Libya. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's, you have to be intelligent, look for America's interest. What are America's interests? Our interest isn't in any one particular people over a, 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 a tribe over in Libya that we want to protect or want to choose the winner and the loser. Uh, but it was a good thing to go into Iraq. It was a good thing to get rid of Saddam. Uh, we just should have gotten out. So people get war weary. And then you have the fiasco of Biden thinks he's going to pull this ma major stunt by pulling out of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. That And the other thing about it is Trump had that one down. It's not easy to pull out, but he's pulling out, but constantly enforcing um, promises. And if you don't deliver, then we're not pulling out. And it was working. And it, and it, and it could have been a nice gradual pull out. You keep that one air base there and... Uh, and you're probably okay, and you can swoop in when you, if you have an air base, you can always swoop back in and take care of something that's hurting the United States interest. But, you know, again, it's silliness. These people are governing the progressives. The people who are whispering into Biden's ears are just idiots, is really one of the problems. And our mm -hmm. president is not really mentally up to the job. Yeah. What, what I've heard about Gaddafi was that he was starting to trade oil with gold. I don't know if that's true, um, but. Uh, America, America did not have a. Um, America did not like that. I would assume if that were to be happening, like trading outside of the dollar, for for oil. Yeah, yeah, uh, maybe so. But I think it was the stories. I think Samantha Power, uh, big aide to Obama, 
Mm -hmm. uh, she was she liked intervening on humanitarian grounds, uh, you know, and which is a silly foreign policy if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that's really what it was. And then, of course, we tried to act like we really had things under control. And that's when, you know, our, our, our ambassador over there that gets killed. We don't want to admit that uh, we really need some security over there. Mm -hmm. So it's just fecklessness is really what it is. Um, and again, the media, George W. Bush was a pretty good president. And, um, you know, he might have gotten steered wrong by two, uh, actually, two advisors. Uh, the guy that headed the CIA, George Tenet, who's a Clinton guy, and Paul Bremer, who I think um, was a State Department guy, usually a yeah. very liberal organization. So those aides did not do him any good. But he was a decent president. And of course, the the press just went after him mercilessly. Uh, you know, once he's rehabilitated yeah. now with, with uh, he, Trump. Sure, sure. We realized yeah. now what a good president he was. And so when people, when John McCain's funeral comes about and everybody like a grade schoolers, they're all hopping on Trump using the John McCain funeral as a way to say, oh, oh aren't we all good people other than this guy McCain uh, or this guy Trump, I'm sorry. But the fact is, is I wanted to say to George Bush, hey, don't participate in this. Don't get in there and start kicking Trump around because you used to be the guy, these, the guy that these people were kicking around back when you were president. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's very much like a grade school, a junior high type of thing. You decide that this kid's not cool, so you all gang up and get Even him. Even passing the candy like they do that's, with you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, one of the last two things I want to get your thoughts on, because you mentioned about funding um, with, uh, with with some of the, like dropping the, the cash, I guess. Um, and I would think that like the Ron Paul types uh, might might say, well, we did that in Afghanistan and the Mujahideen became Al Qaeda or there might be they, they talk about this thing called blowback. Right. I'm curious to get your thoughts on on that and how that would that would play out in, in some of these places. Well, sure. I mean. You ought to think about who you're helping and who you're hurting. Um, but I think you make people make too big a deal. I mean, it was very helpful to our country to have the Mujahideen or however you pronounce it, had armed them to get rid of Russia. That was fine. Um, you know, uh, and if we gave cash to the tribesmen in Afghanistan, uh, at least they would you know, sort of we would have a balance of power there. There's nothing wrong with that. It certainly makes a lot more sense than trying to do it ourselves. If we can get people to act in their interest over in these other countries, that's the best way to achieve things. Obama could have done a lot when the Green Revolution was happening in Iran. Uh, he made the decision not to support it. We could have really done some good as to Iranian democracy if we would have supported that movement. Are you talking about the uh, Arab Spring? Sorry. No, I'm no, I'm talking about the there was sort of a revolution happening in Iran. Where okay. People rising up against the mullahs. And there was a very fertile ground there to change the politics of Iran, but we mm -hmm. didn't support these people. We didn't give them money, we didn't give them weapons, we didn't, you know, and 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 it was really a very shaky thing for the mullahs. They could have lost grip had we helped uh, the people that you know do that. Uh, we knew, we know today, 
the mullahs are never going to be our friends. We know that. And they're, right. they're out there trying to kill Americans whenever they can, kill Westerners. So um, we're not as sure. Anytime you have intelligence agencies doing this stuff, sometimes things are going to go bad. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but it's better than the alternative. I mean, it's it's really in our interest to shape events. Um, so we're not always going to do it perfectly. It's going to be messy, but it's better than saying, oh, no boots on the ground. No, no, no. Right. Um, all we're doing is we, we want exercise power. We just have to do it responsibly. And uh, and that takes that just takes uh, seasoned hands. Mm -hmm. And um, but we can't elect people that are not serious people. I really don't think Obama was a serious guy. You know, he, he, you know, everybody acted like he was a genius. He wasn't a genius. Hell of a singer. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, exactly. And we, we are, we're electing people that aren't serious. I mean, Obama was something like this. He was a smart sophomore is all he was. Uh, Biden, I mean, what do you say about him? That's not a serious person. I never, never was. At least Trump is... Well, let me put it this way. He's serious emotion. He's serious about things he wants to have done. I don't know that he's he's definitely not a deep thinker, a deep strategic thinker. But at least he had the will to keep things in order and generally did a pretty good job. Some of the folks that we trained, it was reported, I think, ran away, uh, didn't, didn't they? Um, like some of the some of the folks in Afghanistan. That we yeah. trained. I mean, that's 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 going to happen. That's why I say, mm -hmm. you know, when you're dealing with a corrupt country like that, you really it's really hard to herd these cats. And mm -hmm. so that's why a guy like Tom Cotton said what he said. I mean, he was, really wasn't real big on what the what we were doing over there. And he said, basically, we had it. We had it figured out at the beginning. And then we had to intervene uh, yeah. ourselves, uh, taking over a, a country that's ungovernable. Uh, but as I say, that would have been a really good solution. It, it's it's clean. If we decide it wasn't working, we just don't give any more cash. That's yeah. all. He was one of those people censored about the uh, the lab leak as well. Right, right. Um, just close closing with this. Um, is, uh, I think there are two two new countries applying for NATO membership. Right. I think it's uh, was it Switzerland. Um, I'm trying to recall. Well, Sweden, right? Sweden, Sweden, I think, right? Sweden yeah. and uh, Finland. Yeah, the, the, the line. Yeah. Yes. So, what do you? What impact do you think that'll have on Russia, Ukraine going forward? Well, I think Putin. It's going to certainly um, redouble his efforts in Ukraine. Uh, he can't. He, he he can't lose the prestige. Uh, of conquering Ukraine, he just can't. He can't lose them. Now he doesn't. He's stretched too thin, I think, to do anything in Finland. The fin the Finnish people are drafting soldiers right now as we speak, uh, and they're starting to amass at the border of of Finland because they're afraid of what he's going to do. And what happens is, and many people, uh, sort of uh, scholars, will talk about how you don't want to incite Putin. Well, they blame the Ukrainian invasion on the fact that we were helping Ukraine and making Ukraine stronger, and therefore Putin had to smash them. Well, I don't believe that, but I, I do think we need to help these countries stay strong, and that's what's good about the NATO alliance. 
And I think we ought to just get them in as fast as possible because if we do that, Putin is not going to attack a NATO country. And if we would have made, and if, and if we didn't, if Obama did not try to pull, uh, play games with uh, Yanukovych, um, Ukraine would have been a NATO member. This wouldn't be happening. And Ukraine actually, besides it being a source of rare earth minerals, also uh, feeds 600, is so fertile it can feed 600 million people. Now, think about that one. We're losing a lot of uh, food for the whole world by allowing uh, Russia, at least we're losing that land to Russia, it looks like. Uh, so uh, I, I just, uh, I, I think we have not been good in dealing with Russia. Remember what Mitt Romney said during the campaign that Russia was our biggest geostrategic rival and we had to do something about it. It's our they biggest problem. He was right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they laughed at him and said, where it's not right. the point. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. 70s are calling. They want their foreign policy back, he said. You know, it's really clever, sarcastic, sophomoric remark. But the fact is, is Romney at least was a serious person who had looked into this and was actually right. Yeah. And people do not like him anymore, <laughs> like uh, at least in the Twitterverse. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the way he's going now. I think he's trying to play holier than thou, and it makes him. It makes him look unserious. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he starts like one time he started marching with Black Lives Matter. I said, "Come on, Mitt. You know, what are you doing?" Right. Um, well, I think that's a that's a good place to to close it. Um, where can people uh, follow you or read your work? I know you're pretty active with, with writing. Yeah, yeah, the best thing to do is go on my site, uh, which is postgatebook.com. I have a lot of articles there. Mm -hmm. I'm coming out. I've got a podcast called The Mysteries of Watergate, which I talk about everything we don't know about Watergate. And I've got a book by that name coming out within a month called The Mysteries of Watergate. Uh, and I think it's an eye-opener because you can see how the public, that's when we really started pulling the wool over people's eyes in a big way through the guise of investigative reporting and this powerful press. Really, we're giving license to the fourth estate to be all powerful political entities and not just people who are out there, you know, hacking the facts for us. Um, and our journalism has clearly gotten worse. Uh, mm -hmm. So there we are there. But But if if you go to my site, postgatebook.com, all this stuff will be on there. Excellent. Have you given um, bad news by, uh, I never know how to pronounce her name, Batya Ungar Sargon uh, a read? I'm sorry, say again. Have you, have you given the book Bad News a read? It's by Batya Ungar Sargon. Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, you would, you, would, you would, yeah, she's a liberal, but you would, you would, I think you would really like the book. I will. I'm going to pick it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of about, it's about that topic um, as well. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. that's what I, that's really my major, I think is the major flaw in our country is, is lack of good information and, and liberal enlightened debate. And that's uh, the bipartisanship right there that we all want. <laughs> Common yeah. sense, not saying that, you know, you can't call the sun the sun because of postmodernism and, you know, having conversations. I think that's like, this is, is what matters. And uh, John, I appreciate your time today and uh, hope to speak again soon. Well, great talking to you, David. Yeah, good chat. Thank you. Okay, take care.